the incomparable. Number 162, October 2013. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we are live in a room with people in Portland, Oregon. We're at the XOXO Festival, which is a celebration of indie content creators. And I'm joined in this room by three guests, frequent visitor to the podcast. Glenn Fleischman has returned. Hello, Glenn. Hello. I'm currently bearing sleeves of tattoos. Since I've been in Portland for three days, they just spontaneously form on my arm. It's like magic. It's crazy. That's what the air in Portland does. Uh, Greg Noss, who only appears on incomparable podcasts that are uh, recorded live (laughs) because he doesn't know how to use a computer, is here. Hi, Greg. Hi, Jason. It's good to have you. Thank you. And uh, special guest Jeff Carlson joins us. Is this your first time? Have you been on... I have been on, but I am. You were also, on without me, right? You were on the the Aaron the Aaron Sorkin episode. That's right. Yeah, I I, I took your place. So I am also only a live uh, performer. Only live. That's right. <laughs> Not on the computer. You're Amish, basically. Basically, I, I can bring my own equipment. And I, don't, you, I don't understand these things that are in front of me that are stealing my voice. Yeah, I know they are. Sorry, I've stolen parts of your soul. That's just how it is. There's nothing left. So I thought we would talk about. Uh, it, in in the spirit of XOXO, I thought we would talk about um, indie projects and 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 culture and people creating things outside the bounds of sort of mainstream mainstream uh, media distribution. Um, and I'm not I'm not sure what kind of stuff you guys are consuming that goes outside outside those bounds. I've got a couple of thoughts, but I'm wondering, Glenn, you do a whole podcast about people who create new things and different things, the new disruptors. Do you have some favorite indie culture stuff that you consume? Well, I've got both like general and specific. The general thing is I keep finding myself over time more and more gravitating to things that are created by a small number of people. And it's funny. I think it goes back even to the software world where I like a lot of the software that I use on a regular basis is from small companies. There's a few things I use for mass produced ones, but it's like that there's actually connection in software. You can get things fixed and added. You can't do that in media, but I find that like there's a unless you're George Lucas. That's right. Please change that Photoshop for me. Thank you. Uh, but the uh, you know like uh, indie game the movie is a great example of of that. Is it was two filmmakers and they appeared at last year's XOXO. They're attending this year's. They just finished kind of a four year odyssey of it, and it's a great moving film. And it was really two people's work. They brought in some people at the very end for post production. They hired a composer to write the music. But these two. People, Lizanne and Jamie, spent, you know, essentially spent four years of their lives producing a film, which the filming was really done like three years ago. They produced one version, they produced a deluxe edition, and um, you can feel the hand of individual people on on work that's created. I was just at PAX in Seattle, PAX Prime, the big gaming event, and I walked all over the place because I'm not a gamer. I'm a really casual guy, and I found that the um, the big stuff was interesting. I'm curious what people are playing from the big you know studios and Microsoft and Nintendo and what have you, but there's an indie mini booth where a bunch of developers get together and they buy space, and they buy one big space, and they show small booths. Then one of the booths is like this micro booth in which tiny, tiny developers are crammed into this tiny, tiny... You can can't walk through and it's um and all that stuff was lovely like no two things looked the same and some of it was artistic and like you know like painterly and some of it was out of control and some of it was beautiful 3d but it was all the most interesting stuff was packed into this one booth space and the rest of it was mainstream and and just all sort of looked a little bit alike to me. Why'd you stop there? They didn't have another tiny booth inside that tiny booth? I was, Axis I was, fractal is what you're saying. I was waiting for like small people to come out with tiny little new nano computers. Greg, what about you? Do you only watch only watch sitcoms on Monday nights on CBS? Is that your... <laughs> That's my demographic. Yes, you're, you're, you're an elderly child. Years old. Um, yeah, I agree with Glenn is that I'm... What you get out of this indie stuff is a singular vision. People who really care about these projects, they can make money from them, and that's one of the points of XOXO, is not only producing the stuff, but using the internet and newer technologies to find an audience and distribute it. And that has allowed me as a consumer of this stuff to find it much easier, in fact, to have too much of it. Um, And so the... uh, But the stuff that I do find... It's things that I that would have been passed around on videotape before. They would have been produced. They may have been more difficult to produce. They may have taken much longer because they didn't have the tools. But now you can stumble across professional 
quality movies like Indie Game, which is terrific. And because of the internet, and I realize that's not a great insight, but for me as a consumer, I don't have to go anywhere, which is really, really nice. I don't have to talk to people. <laughs> I don't have to really interact good. with anybody to have this yeah. terrific stuff finding its way to me. And the fact that it, it is a passion project that is now easier to produce, easier to distribute, and easier to consume is – there's so much more of it because of that. And that makes it just – the whole process becomes simpler. You can feel it when a project is a passion project. You can feel it when – When it, people it, aren't doing it for the money. It's great when they make money, mm -hmm. but that didn't begin the project and it didn't sustain the project. It was obsession that got them started. This sounds like a tagline for a movie. It was obsession that got them started. But it is. It's that thing that – It began tried. with obsession. It ended with customer service calls. <laughs> Exactly. In the middle of the night, they were assembling products <laughs> one by one. But it's true is that – this is, goes back to like the blogging days. People would ask me, how do I start a blog? And I'm like, is there something you're interested in that you can't stop talking about? And Jeff Carlson's here is nodding because everything – I'm interested in everything and I shared office space with him. So he knows what I mean when Let I Let me tell it. you about Wi-Fi. That's not bad. That's not <laughs> Talk about Stephen Fry. But it's true is that you have to have an obsession that drives you and it used to be you couldn't either turn that into a career, make money from it or find an audience. And now you can take your obsession and you can find a way to translate it into something that is not a mass market but that can reach an audience and then you're – you know, suddenly you're doing something that feels productive because you're interacting with a community that appreciates what you're doing. And I think – the modern version of indie stuff started with software. Back in the you know, 80s, you'd, people would you know, Ziploc bag a disc of the game they'd made and advertised in the back of a magazine, and they'd send it off to people. And then games got big, and that kind of died down for a little while. But with the introduction of mobile devices and the App Store and the, inter the, the ability to, for a single developer to create a passion project, have it distributed worldwide through a single source, and then reap the benefits. And now the tools that allow that are also coming to other media. So that somebody who is producing a movie, like last year at the indie game people at XOXO talked about the ways they distributed. They're distributing through Steam, which is, of course, a platform to distributing video games. They're distributing through um, downloads directly from their own site. They're distributing through, distributing through VFX. And um, like say if somebody had a small indie magazine, that could be distributed electronically. I've never heard of such a thing. How would that work? <laughs> we'll well, talk later. first you have somebody who creates it. A genius. And then some other guy comes along and buys it. He was a genius <laughs> who puts hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of his own time into programming an app. Then he sells it. That's the solution. Brilliant. I think the fact that um, – and Greg just touched on this, but you know, for a long time we've heard about how like, the tools will let you make anything. Like you can, you can make something in iMovie, uh, which I wrote about for years. Um, you, know, like you can build your own movie and you can do all this stuff. You can create, create, create. But then there was always that hurdle of, okay, now you've got it. What do you do with it? And so it, it's nice that there's so much focus on how to get it out there, how to, you know, like what happens when you're halfway through the project and you know what needs to be done and you absolutely do not have the resources to finish it. Um, the, the two guys that were um, talking last night at a um, little film festival, part of, film festival part of XOXO, uh, they have a movie called Stripped that they're in, in the middle of working on. And they have... 300 hours of interviews with comic book creators and comic, yeah, comic strip artists, basically comic strip artists. Yeah. And so they are, you know, like they need to do something with all of that. And by having um, Kickstarter and, you know, different resources, they can actually finish it rather than have it just be the passion project that they've been working on in little bits here and there that, you know, just might fade out. Well, this used to be the software thing we were talking about is that, is that software was the leading edge because the thing you had to distribute was bits. And you could put it on a floppy disk and then a CD and then you could email it. Then you could, you know, torrent it. Like there's a lot of ways to distribute software. And it was, you know, you could take credit cards. The software cost enough that you could get into the credit card system and then there was PayPal and whatever. But physical goods or things that were media, like funding a movie, it, a movie was too big to download a while ago. And it was impossible to collect Lots of money. So it's like this, like you could make the movie, the tools were good enough on a computer, and you could get decent enough cameras cheap enough that you could make something that looked really good a few years ago. There was no way you could fund it, and there was no way you could distribute it unless you got it into like 
video stores, maybe iTunes. Not only pre-funding, but then the post-profit afterwards. The distri- with distribution yeah. comes profit. That's right. Because remember, Indie Game, actually, this is, I don't, well, don't, we don't talk about the whole time, but like that was their thing, too, is they went to Sundance with their movie uh, almost two years ago. They got an a editing award, and they got approached by distributors, and they talked to them all, they looked at the deal, and they said, you know, we, we will lose all control. We can't send the movie out to the backers outside the United States for like a year and a half. There were like all these restrictions. So maybe we do it ourselves. So they called movie theaters. They booked stuff. They got a corporate sponsor. Adobe loved them because they were using Final Cut Pro. And so, uh, not Final Cut Pro. No, no. They hated them. Oh, my God. No, they were using... Uh, Premiere Pro? Premiere Pro or something. Yeah, they were using Adobe products. Stuff. Anyway, but so, Indie Game... The, the, Sorry, Adobe's not paying us. That's right. Care. Sponsored by <laughs> other people. You guys um, aren't getting paid by Adobe? Oh, Said too much, Drake, but the, cut me in later. They, they, uh, but so they they went their own independent route, even with distribution of it. I'm not just like downloads and discs, but even like to the movie theaters because you can you don't need to make 400 reels of film now. You can take a digital disc, and that's even right. changed in the last year even further. Yeah, I was. Um, it's fascinating to see all the. Uh, it's not just Kickstarter now. There's Indiegogo, and there are other other sites that are doing different models for this. And 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 you see, you do see two different models here. You see people who are known, who are um, able to to cut out the middleman in some cases, or change how they do their business. And then you see um, complete unknowns like these filmmakers who have a subject that people like and want to see and are able to fund it. And essentially they're pre-ordering, but they're proving that there's an audience and these people can't afford to put their own money in up front, but they know that there's an audience and the audience helps make it, which in some ways, I mean, that's how I always thought Kickstarter was at its core. The most important way to do it was there's an audience for this thing, but you can't, you know, make it for them without the kickstart. Um, so I, most of my experience, I got to be honest, most of my experience with indie stuff is uh, artists that I was aware of already, but especially in the music industry where traditionally musicians, the, the economics have been so terrible that a lot of musicians are now going direct to their audiences and bypassing the, the studios and doing projects on their own. Um, I, there's a, uh, a couple of music artists, uh, Mike Doty, who used to be in the band soul coughing released a, uh, an album of his old band's songs that he had re-recorded, and he had a bunch of bonus things, as you do. I think that was an Indiegogo project, but you know, you could get an acoustic album, and he, there was a lot of back and forth about what he was going to do there. Um, but it was something that was kind of outside the realm of the usual. I'm going to put out a release, and then another artist I really like, Imogen Heap, um, decided to release her tracks for her, her next album as she was recording them instead of waiting four years and then releasing the album. And so her album is going to come out early next year and I've already heard half the tracks. I already bought half the tracks and it's kind of brilliant from a business standpoint, but I also, I was happy to subscribe to, you know, a track every two, two or three months instead of waiting for the old model. Well, this is what's happening too, is I think you're getting the broke effect of having so much money pouring into the system when you find that people actually want to support their artists directly, especially in the music business, but we're seeing in film, uh, book, cartooning, cartoonists, I think musicians make a terrible living. It's like cartoonists are even lower down the heap. And there are a ton of cartoonists I know now. It's not like they're rolling in money, but it's like some of them have the day job, and this is now lets them make a full living, and they don't have to worry about the day job. Some were able to quit the day job because it's enough money that they can then move into the new project. So there's superstars in every field. But the thing I was thinking about is that the, the broke part is that um, Kickstarter's probably on track to bring in, I don't know, 400 or $500 million this year, I think, something like that, at least $400 million in completed pledges. Indiegogo is smaller, but it, it might be, I think, I'm not sure, like 20 25% of that. They've got that different model, like Kickstarter, you have to raise all the money you set out to raise, you don't get any of it, and you can go over. Indiegogo, you can say, I only want to raise whatever I raise. There's now a bunch of product sites where there's a, it's a different compact with the buyer, so it's, we release money to the product designer only as they complete benchmarks. Or uh-huh. we're going to fully vet, there's one site that's, we're going to fully vet the product, we're going to meet with engineering firms, we're going to have them... See if this is feasible before we even let someone listen. If it's not, we're going to ask them to go back and iterate. So the only stuff we list we feel will be a little further along and more likely to be produced. And uh, so there, so it's not just this monolithic, like, you go to Kickstarter's one approach. There's enough money that you're seeing, like, you know, these sites could be doing $20 million or $50 million a year. There's a lot of niches the coming in. There's a porn version of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You can go out and get, you know, 
fund your fetish film. What's it okay, called? I was going to ask yeah. us for some specific examples of indie uh, art that, that we I've like. consumed. So do you want to talk about the, uh, indie porn there? <laughs> is it called Please Kickstart Me? What is it? <laughs> it's just kick. It's probably <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I flummoxed wow. you now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> flummoxed stopper. All right, I'll, Got the I'll vapors. Start. Well, no, I was going to. I was oh, going to ask you that you talk about the the indie artists that you've pursued that you've pursued have been label artists that have gone independent. Right, right, because the economics were problematic. Right. And that, they, or but or they label built artists a, that are on a label but want to do a different method of, of releasing to the fans because they know that eventually there'll be a studio album that's in the old channel, but could I do something in the intervening three years while I'm making this album? So there's a couple different ways. Right, and those are people that have built audiences already. Yes. They have a built-in audience, yes. which is one of the reasons that it's easy for them to do this. Yes, just like just like Zach Braff or, or you know, Veronica Mars. Right. And or... there's a whole debate about whether they deserve to be on Kickstarter because right. they have access to the old money. And I think that deserve is not a question of it, that there's proof that people who come into the system uh, – the, the crowdfunding system because of these larger projects then contribute to other stuff. And I was going to ask you, have you sought out other artists through Kickstarter or through other crowdfunding means? Well, I certainly don't use Kickstarter as a, as a uh, way, a discovery, Music recommendation it's, it's not service. a discovery medium, right? So, so I'm, you know, you will find projects, music's hard too, because you really do want to listen to it. And, and, and whether you find it through, alternative means or mainstream means uh you know you want to make that connection and say i like this stuff and then you follow you follow that it, it they're different models i was going to mention um in books that you know self-publishing we, we've been talking about kickstarter and crowdfunding but self-publishing there have been several successes and and uh, again i'll leave uh, 50 shades of gray to greg t- to talk about <laughs> but, uh, his expertise is but, uh, what about wolf? the whole other world of twilight fanfic well so big so i was going to mention wool by hugh howey which is a best-selling novel that's now been released by a traditional publisher but it started as a series of novelettes basically released by twilight fanfic. hugh howey it's not twilight fanfic oh. on although you can do that on amazon now um it, it, it was released by him, uh, directly self-published to Amazon, and it became wildly successful and is essentially a bestseller now. And I think it was a NaNoWriMo, uh, in fact. So National Novel Writing Month. Disclosure, I'm on the board. Everybody should write a novel in November. Um, Greg's going to kill himself. I'll write a story about Greg. But I'm launching a Kickstarter for someone to write a novel for me in November. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I, I can't novel. wait to read that. Uh, the Kickstarter, not the novel. The um, <laughs> you just have somebody write a novel, then you buy it from them. Oh, that's it. This is money, yeah. yes. But Hugh Howey, you know that it's a um, it's a pretty good book actually, and it's what's funny about it is that I um, they bundled it up into an omnibus edition, and that's the one that was uh, published in a more traditional means. Um, and that, that happens to a lot of this stuff too, is once it gets discovered, sometimes it, just like web comics that turn into printed books, it's sort of like after the fact, once you, it's almost like the crowdfunding or internet popularity becomes a filter that it's so hard. It's not that there isn't good stuff out there. It's, it's hard to find it. And if you're a publisher, if you're a mainstream, uh, with the money, it's like, where do you put it's your money? Find, it's like, Oh, that's the, the problem of editors and Gatekeepers has now been transferred to the audience. Yeah, is is why the reason I asked you about whether you found anybody new through Kickstarter or crowdfunding is because you can go out there and swing a cat and hit fifty new things that you sure. might be interested in, and it's it's the mainstream media as well is producing an enormous amount of amazing stuff. Right, and so now you have these sluice gates opened of mm-hmm. terrific mainstream media, available terrific indie media, and how do you filter that? Well, then it's also it's the it's the the uh, niche thing, no, the niche thing. Which word is that? Which square? The small space that has Nietzsche. the Nietzsche. <laughs> Nietzsche. We're, we're in Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche. Wilhelm Nietzsche. Anyway, the, niche, the niche thing is that you have um, there's small audiences. As you gaze into the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter also gazes into oh, you. <laughs> wow! If it doesn't bring me down, it me. Uh, I don't fund the. It's that every small audience – there's the gatekeeper thing that the audience is now the gatekeeper at a, at a certain level. Like you can have a fundamental – there's the issue that the audiences find what they like too, right? So Amanda Hawking is the big example where she was selling all these millions of vampire novels and, and so forth and made a fortune selling a very specific thing that was tailored. But you also have – we talk over and over again about the thousand true fan essay that Kevin Kelly wrote. It's, it's seminal because it – 
took a concept and sort of codified it under one term. But the idea that, um, you know, he was saying if you have a thousand true fans, I think it was as a musician, you can probably make a living or part right. of a living from it. But what turns out, I think, to be true is it's scalable. So you can have a hundred true fans and produce certain kinds of things. You know, you're a ballet troupe in a small town or you're, you're, it's everyone's side project, but you have a hundred people that will come to every performance. I am, in fact, a ballet troupe in a small town. That's, that, I, you look familiar to me. Ballet trucking It's the tutu. Sorry. And, but Sorry, you can have a trope. You can have ballet trope. You can have a thousand people. You can have ten thousand, hundred thousand. So the should famous people use Kickstarter issue is well, you know, uh, everybody's a little bit famous or could. be. But it's like they can raise five million dollars for Veronica Mars movie, but somebody else might raise five thousand dollars. That is equally as significant for them right. at the scale at which they're working this, for a fanfic Veronica Mars movie. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Handheld cameras running it's around. It's porn, actually. <laughs> right. so we're back to that. Just, just call well, it where back. Where do I sign up? <laughs> well, no, this is. I mean, this is one of the. This discussion has gone in an interesting direction, which is. Uh, I could expect nothing less from you, gentlemen. Um, have you have I, you not listened to the, the podcast the before? Idea, <laughs> a live podcast of ours being rambling? No, the um, the idea that you don't. You know, a publisher is seeking a hit. They're seeking a hit. Uh, 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 very, very, because they know that a lot of their things aren't going to b- make it, and some are going to break even, and they they want hits. And when you're in this, with the with the distribution mechanisms we have now, with eBooks and print on demand, and uh, small run press, and web comics, and podcasts. I mean, podcasts are uh, not every podcast is from a corporate behemoth like the incomparable. <laughs> so you know the um, it, it's you don't need to have a hit that reaches a million people. I mean, like on TV, uh, a TV show that reaches a million people, in, unless the, you know, depending on the channel and the demographics, it's, it's kind of a failure or half kind a million a people, it's right? It's a colossal failure. Well, it depends now. Actually, these days, some shows on cable, if you get a million, you're, you're doing okay. Well, on CBS. But a oh, podcast yes. that reaches fifteen or 20,000 people, you know, that, that's a wild success. And, and, and it doesn't have to reach a million. You can be... You know, you can be the incomparable and reach fifteen thousand people and be okay because we those are the because the incomparable listenership those are the best fifteen thousand people on the face of the earth. Let me flip it around too. There's another part which is as a creator, as an artist, and Jeff Carlson's written an enormous number of computer of technical books or technology books. Yeah, that brings us to our sponsor, the works of Jeff Carlson. <laughs> Check him out today. All his books are fully edible. Uh, the, um, so Jeff's written, Jeff can talk to this experience, but you've written a ton of books when you, um, I want to talk about the hit concept in terms of indie stuff. So you work for a conventional computer book publisher. This is turning into an interview. Jeff, tell me about your career, but it's, you've written, I don't know what you've like 30 books, including revisions, something on that order of magnitude. Higher. But what yeah. happens when you don't, you know, you get an advance. What happens when you don't, when you don't have a hit, when you're working with a conventional publisher, how does that work out for you financially? Um, uh, things just kind of fade. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, they don't come and get your money, but they just don't ask you for more they yeah. and they don't give you more. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I can turn this back on you because uh, Glenn and I have co-written books. We, we wrote, um, a thousand page book about Adobe go live and, wow. um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, I thought Neil Stevenson wrote one. We didn't and, believe it at the time. Uh, three third guns in the Neil Stevenson well, books. Well, it, it started as 800 pages, so, you know, that of course, wow. was much more manageable. So a novella then. Yeah, exactly. Um, George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Go Live. <laughs> <laughs> we started with Stephen King and ended up with George R.R. R. Martin. Um, and uh, uh, so the, the, the way publishing works is uh, we received it in advance, and then... Um, when the book goes on on for sale, the book has to earn back its advance before we see any royalties. And fortunately, if the book is not successful or moderately successful, we, you know, don't have to give back any of the money or anything like that. Um, and so, I mean, at at some point, because Go Live was a big deal for a very small amount of time after Adobe purchased it, and then Dreamweaver just basically, you know, ate its lunch. And so we would get these monthly royalty statements and we were, you know, massively in the hole. Like we will never, ever, ever see any money from that. And so there's the advantage there of, of having a, a traditional book publisher that will um, take that risk. And I mean, I think ultimately they probably made a little bit of money because of the, the, the markups and all of that. But you have that, that, that mechanism in place where someone's going to say, okay, we're going to 
put some money into this. We're going to make this happen. Like it's going to be a thing. And then we're going to put it out there and we have a sales force and we have like infrastructure to, to, to make this happen. And even if it's not a, a wild success, it's okay. And, and you know, the, like, like the profits of this or, or a few sort of, you know, mid-level sales things mm-hmm. contribute to the bigger picture. And that's not the case with the, with Indy. But this is what I, this is what I, I was thinking is interesting about the long tail. I had this conversation, in fact, with Chris Anderson when he was working on the book, uh, The Long Tail, years ago because he was, worked at Amazon <clears throat> in 96 and 97. One of the great secrets of Amazon was that it did special order fulfillment really well and nobody else did at the time, even Barnes & Noble. We could get any book within a few weeks and charge list price. There was no markup at the time. That was a secret because those you make the highest amount of money from because they're expensive books typically and you don't discount them. The thing about The Long Tail that's interesting and Chris emphasizes in a few places in his book is that The Long Tail benefits the publisher or the aggregator or the reseller. Amazon, it is great for Amazon that it can sell one copy of a million books profitably. The 100,000 publishers that are selling 10 copies of books a month through Amazon, they're not making very much money. And the same thing goes for the publisher. The publisher, they can distribute their profits and losses across, have some blockbusters and some not. They want the big ones. But I was thinking, uh, but they can still do okay even as long as it averages out. I was thinking from the artist standpoint, this new economy of things means that – well, this is why flipping around is like you have to sell 15,000 copies of a book to earn out and make probably a decent hourly wage from what you did, right? Something – maybe 12,000 to 15,000 copies. Something like that. But if you control all the means of production, if I go to a Kickstarter, I'm like, I want to – I mean, I'm not going to Kickstart to write a book about GoLive. That would be a uh, – the classic program. It's like it's an old video first game. First, you have to Kickstart the time machine. That's right. <laughs> the Z- Legends of Zelda, GoLive edition. But if I were to do that – I don't have to sell 12,000 copies. I'm, I've been talking to so many people to Kickstarters who they have a price point. Maybe the reward is in the $25 range. They sell 1,000. They have 25 grand. It's enough for them to, to do 2,000 if it's a product or a book or whatever. And then they have the, they've, they've maybe made, made no money. I'm doing air quotes, audience. I'm doing air quotes. They've made them. no money off the project, but they've used it to literally Kickstart it. They've sold – my friend Matt Bors, an editorial cartoonist, he printed like 5,000 copies of a book – for fulfilling a thousand order Kickstarter, every book he sells at this point, he makes a hundred percent of the cost of that book. He gets to retain because he paid all the costs of production. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. We did that actually um, when we started doing eBooks at MacWorld. It was the same calculation, which was you sell direct, you don't go through a middleman. Um, you're, 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 you know, the eBooks they they take. Now we sell through a middleman, which is Amazon or Apple, but it's it's. Uh, believe me, far more uh, efficient than going through a book publisher or a magazine distributor. And that, that's the beauty of this is that you can sell – you don't need to sell 15,000. You can sell 10,000 or 5,000 of whatever you're doing. And it comes back to that, which is we're, we're, it's, a, it's audience fragmentation. Everybody wants to have a bestseller, but if you were building something that is liked by a small group of people – um, you can you can do that, and it's not a failure. Which it, in the past it would have been a failure, and th- those things wouldn't have existed. But even beyond that, I think that the motivations are fundamentally different. There are different methods for getting this stuff out to people, and the the indie producers that that are now able to take advantage of these methods. Not only the big corporations, and they can like you know IDG with MacWorld being able to get more efficient distribution, but people who were doing stuff anyway for their own edification, can now find audiences and make a profit yes. to it. And that's, that, I think, is the fundamental change. Obviously, business efficiencies are really important, and we're... Well, as a, this yeah, is a business... Yeah, although I would argue with, with Macworld, I mean, there is a business efficiency thing there, but in the end, we wanted to have our content um, live beyond where it was at, as editors, and so and, and we, without really any business supervision, just <laughs> made it happen <laughs> using ebooks. So there's, it was a little bit. Well, of a you guys are obviously Mac kind of nerds. Thing. You yeah. have passion about that. exactly. You would probably be sitting in your lonely apartment writing articles about the Mac if you couldn't distribute them. You know, how do you know about out. my lonely apartment? <laughs> <laughs> Stapling them, taping them to your neighbor's door. It's I a mean, lonely apartment in my wall, mind. <laughs> jobs was slash fiction. Yeah, I, I'm extrapolating your life if you'd never met Laura. Yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> well played. I, I knew that was where you were going. It's a wonderful eye life. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a lonely apartment with but self-published things. He became and a librarian. No. I think all the, the business efficiencies that come for traditional channels are terrific, but it's really the people who were printing zines that, oh, yeah. that can now reach a, a much larger audience. 
and can make a living at well, it. And- so one of the speakers at XOXO was Erica Moen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, who describe her talk? Who, <laughs> well, she's an indie cartoonist, Greg. Really? What kind of indie cartoonist? I think it's your specialty. She, Greg. she, discuss, she discusses many topics in her career. Uh, things well, it involves things that go inside other things. Yes, that's right. Or they're and placed make, on and make, other things and make people happy. Yes. But she, her, her point, I think the overall point of her talk, and there's an excellent episode of Glenn's podcast, the New Disruptor, previously with her. on the uh, on another podcast. The but what was what was really great about um, that that is that her message was she's now able to be a cartoonist for her living, and she had never in her life believed that her thing that she loved the most in the world would be anything but something she had to do on the side because artists, you can't make a living being an artist. And the internet and web comics and building her audience and selling, you know, books and t-shirts and whatever else, she now makes her living as an artist. And that's, so not only are people getting this art that would otherwise kind of maybe not be visible to them, but she can, she can do that for her life. And that's amazing. I want to bring up something that will sound like I'm totally off topic, which is not a totally that's not unusual. Like you I read there's a New York Times article about <laughs> webcam girls, and uh, this will sound totally. But it, actually, what's interesting? Is it was him this time, not yeah, me. Yeah. It's exactly the same economics. If you disregard what the women's uh, job, these are is, women who build and ship out webcams. webcams. That's correct. To they work customers. In, that's right? exactly. It. They're electronic assembly women. People like to watch electronics being assembled. So they'll pay fees <laughs> to watch women assemble electronics. But the it's more than testing. It's rule 34. You just found the, the next great uh, industry. Rule 34 is you can see women doing anything you want on the internet, including assembling electronics. Uh, but so, but the economics of it are identical is that women who used to be in operations, you know, in sexual rings and with pimps, whatever, they're now independent producers. They control their environment. They keep a much fairer percentage, as much as 50 to 60% of what they make. They, could, they are in a safer place. They're entrepreneurs. They have to employ marketing, and it's a direct connection. And you're like, and I'm so I'm actually not being tendentious about this. I, I was reading it, going like, this is just like this is an independent producer thing, yeah. And it is disintermediated, you know, peep shows uh, or, or you know, live <laughs> peep shows in the same way that that you know, episode title. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's the old story that the you know that pornography always finds new technology. I mean, not it whether it's late, first. Though. It didn't that's come the first. Funny part this is time. It wasn't the first time. No nerds, nerds got there first, <laughs> and only later did pornography rush in. But absolutely, it's pornography it's, rushed in. And, and what you get is you get um, you get stuff whether it's whether it's webcam girls or it's books or movies or TV shows or whatever you get or web comics. You're getting there was a buildup and then a sudden release. <laughs> so you're getting. I'm just going to sit here. I feel right? better. Now. You're, you're you're getting a, a greater diversity of stuff too. I mean that's 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 what it's good as to, to pivot this from being talking about the creators to talking about the the consumers. The consumers you yeah. you get stuff that would you know it's like wow imagine if he had written more books and it turns out he wanted to write more books but they never sold and so you never saw them well now you'd see that artist but who that was exactly the problem is 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 discoverability how you find this stuff among the vast sea of what's right. available is. I have a limited amount of time. Right, person with a publisher was a really good uh, a filter, right? Right, because well, somebody had already found. And and there are the tools for finding out what my friends like, and but it's, it, I don't think that that's a solved problem yet. Is how can you find new things, the the most worthy new things? Yeah. How do they find audiences? They have the tools available to them now, but how do you break out? How do you get past the noise? And I don't think that's a solved problem. No, word of, word of mouth came up a lot at XOXO, and, and it struck me because I feel like with, with, uh, with this podcast, with other podcasts that I like, nobody's ever heard of any of them. And, I, and, I, and it, it's strange paths. Like um, John Syracuse worked with a guy whose brother did a podcast. And that was the flop house. And then oh, John yeah. Syracuse told me. Yeah. And then I told people on this podcast that I love the flop house. And, it, you know, it gets around, but it's not like there's – you know, a marketing it, camp. Po- there, there are millions like, of people who would love the incomparable. Billions of people who would love the incomparable. Yeah. Who've just not heard of it, right? It's, 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 this is the problem: is that we're in the we're in the golden age of podcasting, gentlemen. And I propose we take advantage of it. But no, the, this is a this is a new renaissance. Ocean carried. 
this is a new renaissance in podcasting because for some reason we've seen a total explosion of new podcasts. People brought passion back in. There's a little more money in the system that helps, and people are chasing it. Thanks, a Lex. Bit more. Thanks to our this week's sponsor. <laughs> and, uh, but but I would say that like that hinders discoverability. There used to be when I was at Amazon in '96, there were I want to say 25,000 new books published by major publishing houses, like the top. 200 a year, and there were like 250,000 books published if you included all the self-publishing, small houses, indies, one-offs, whatever. There are something like, if you, I don't even think it's including e no, there's a million plus books in the United States now published every year, and that only counts the number of things that get ISBNs and so forth. It includes e-books are now half of that. How do you find something when there's a million new books? Scott reads most of them. Yeah. <laughs> He's forgotten all of them, yes. so is that no help there? Yeah. And then he forgets it, so yeah. Well, he puts it on Goodreads. I mean, I have to say, again, <laughs> if you can get brain. in the water somewhere, somewhere in the water supply, then social media can help. Then things, sites like Goodreads or Letterboxd But then, or then you're trapped like into the bubble of your friends. But that's, that's the Which turned that's my, the my friends happen to be nerds. I love that song, Trapped in the Bubble of My Friends. I'm sorry, it just sounded Are we back to the point? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say. That kind of bubble. Going other things. And and it's it's there. It, I feel at a loss sometimes because there's so much out there that I know I'm missing, and I I have you should use Twitter. OCD tendencies, yes. you know, as is totally <laughs> unlike most people of our ilk. Um, and I want to be able to be a completist, but also sample widely. And with the limited amount of time that I have, I don't know where to find things that would blow me away that aren't what I'm normally consuming. Right. And you can get some of that from word of mouth, but you know you're missing the things that just didn't... Like I said, would we know about the Flophouse if John Syracuse hadn't worked with Dan McCoy's brother? I mean, that's such a random connection. Right. And, and and that goes for almost anything that we would discover. It's like, how did I hear about, you know, name, the fav favorite book, favorite artist? Maybe through luck it got here, but there's got to be... I would think that this technology would enable us to do a As better a job of that, As a programmer, every problem right? can be solved with technology. I'm sure. <laughs> including <laughs> personal and emotional problems. Good. Yes. <laughs> you're so working I, on an app that <laughs> so, solves some of those, I, I want, believe. I, I want this social problem solved as well. And if my approach is technological, but that's maybe not the right approach. That's the hammer I have to hit this particular nail. I just, that, that I feel like the allowing people to create was, you know, age old, you know, they're painting on cave walls. They have an impetus to create. Yeah. Now, I'm kickstarting my cave paintings. Right. By the way. And, and for a long time, traditional media methods built up in order to distribute this stuff. And they became ossified and inefficient. And then new technology has come in and, and, her, damaged a lot of those traditional things while replacing it with new stuff that is more egalitarian, more democratic, more open to alternate voices. You know, the, the gatekeeper's argument. Well, I think, uh, and, you know... But, but what's the next step? Where do we go? Am I being impatient because we're still undergoing the previous revolution? Partly, partly. I mean, I think what, what's nice is that is that, like, now there are also a lot of hammers. Like, you can... Uh, one thing about the, the, the whole... I want to be hammered by somebody else. <laughs> and we're back to that again. Oh, great. Um, um, I was thinking it. I understand. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but what, what's interesting about, about um, a lot of this, the indie stuff that um, is being talked about here is that um, you have a lot more, I don't know, audience participation. That's not really the right term. But, but you have more... Uh, like people, direct interaction. More people yeah. who, who like your thing, who are willing to 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 spread that message. I mean, like yeah. I, I I think with indie game, one of the things that they talked about you people on at your home getting podcast, all this, I think, <laughs> um, was this to like, your friends. Like like they would go and do screenings in different places, but they would have volunteers who would like set them up there and like like advance people that. Because they love this thing, right. are, are willing to do work and on having, behalf of having it. Having that connection, you you would go to the mat. Like I would read books, favorite books as a kid, and the the novelist was literally the name on the cover, and I knew nothing more about them. Mm -hmm. And that that doesn't happen today, right? I mean, that I mean, with may, big artists it does, but with these small artists, you feel like you know them. You you hear them on a podcast or you follow them on Twitter, and you would go. It's a funny thing about human societies and the way we're we're kind of wired is you would go to the mat for somebody because they're not they're no longer this person who's a musician. They're like I know that person. You have back channel to them. You can subscribe to their Twitter account. You can read their blog. Suddenly there's a conversation going on, even if it's and then it's my it's friend who's the writer. It's outside of their writer. work, and they, there's much more intimate connection. 
There's pe- and there's also, I think there's... Um, the danger is if they're a jerk, then it's a problem. <laughs> Why has that, that ever happened to you, happen. Jason? You whippersnapper. What are you talking uh, about? I'm not talking about anybody here. No, no, you young whippersnapper. I'm talking about Dan Moore. No. Uh, uh, no, yeah. But there's, there's also... Future like, Dan Moore. I think, Sorry. I think Damn. we all look for recommendations. We talked about this before from our friends. That's like, there's people who go for the... So from the artist's perspective, they now have a posse, right? There's people who go to the mat for them. There are people who are very... You know, some audience of people who read or buy or enjoy their stuff a much smaller audience of true fans but the true fans now have a way to spread the true religion in a way they didn't before right so i have people i mean it's actually exciting i have people are out there saying like you should listen to the new disruptors by the way compete on <laughs> new disruptors or or what i read the magazine or whatever i'm working on and it's exciting to jeff carlson has people read his book and go you know you should get this book there's it used to be blogs were the only way to spread that and people had to find a blog and use rss and whatever and in the, the old days <laughs> the old days the old days we're all old men here we know and uh, t- yeah, long ago, teens. 10 years ago. But now um, I think that there's an acceleration is that you get the viral edge. And so projects like Indie Game or things that uh, – or the, the Glyph is the classic one, the iPod or iPad – iPhone tripod mount, or you say it. Um, these guys went from zero to you know a hundred thousand dollars in two thousand ten, I think it was, for this plastic. Thing they were XOXO last year too. That's right, and they um, and then they've done stuff ever since. But the but they got there because um, a few people saw it, thought it was fascinating, and pushed it out to some influencers. So you have the daring fireballs of the world, and you know Dig may come back yet, and there are other sites and things that you go to where. If it's mentioned, uh, you know, somebody like Twitter is fascinating where you could have someone with 5 million followers. They'll mention one kind of thing and nothing happens. They'll be like, I really (laughs) like blah and it's crickets. And they mention another thing and 50,000 people uh, pledge $20 in five minutes. Yeah, it's – it seems to me that what we're saying here is that we've revolutionized the ability to distribute and create independently, but it's all still really random when it comes to discovery and marketing is still and, and fame. Reliable. Well, I mean, and that's why you get this um, tendency to have uh, stuff by famous people, stuff by existing artists, things like that, because they. It, it's it's a perfect time for well, them in some ways too. because they're good. Well, they're good. Uh, I think the, I think the ones that excel at this the most are, um, you know. Like musical artists um, and and maybe some writers, but I think about the musical artists that have a fan a, a fan base that's too small. They 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 were big. They had one hit ten years ago. They had four hits twenty years ago or something like that. And they're you know they can go from every, to every city and and get a thousand people, mm-hmm. but they're as a you know. It's too. It's not hot enough. They're not a. They're not a superstar. And I think it used to be really hard for them. And I think it's easier now. I think that some of them You're it, saying playing two hundred state fairs a year is not a great way to well, make a well, living. Well, they're they're well, really retro bands. But I'm thinking more like too. I'm thinking more like musical artists that were never they were never the Rolling Stones, um, and and they were never Journey right where they were huge and now they're very small and they they replaced their lead singer and I'm still bitter about that. But <laughs> um, sorry, Journey, that, that's a whole other podcast. Don't we, already did, we already did our podcast about Journey. We're going to do the Steve Perry podcast. Specific example though, which is uh, the Roches, the three sisters who you performed years ago. They were a fairly popular folk song act, and uh, one of them is the uh, the, is the mother of um, Rufus Wainwright the third, you know, the former. And uh, so they were kind of in this circle and. Uh, one of them tried to raise money. I think it was Suzy Roche tried to raise money on Indiegogo and didn't reach a goal for it because it was so different than anything she'd ever done. If she had tried to do another album of the kind of stuff people had liked her producing for 30-plus years, I think she would have easily succeeded. There's trouble for that kind of artist where they want to shift direction. Then these mechanisms don't necessarily work because Kickstarter works best as either I'm really famous and I want to do a thing that's different than a thing or – you know me sort of, and I want to do another thing that's so much like the things you like that you'll fund this because you want another one of those things you like. One of the things about XOXO and about the enthusiasm that we're talking about here for these new methods is that not many people are talking about the failures, about the difficulties of the system, that that this is a very um, survivor-biased take on the new stuff (laughs) is is that we talk about the successes because they're the interesting things. We talk about the people who have it really working. 
But there are also people that, that have put their passion into it, put it into the system, and then it doesn't click. I've thought about doing um, a couple different Kickstarter projects, and I am terrified to do it because I'm, I'm almost certain that it will fail and it will What about your my rabid, dreams. unquestioning fan base? Mine, mine failed. Look, you know, I'll, I'm going I'm to out myself. I'm going to out myself live. And the, but no, I, did, I was going to do a book about, <laughs> about Kickstarter, about ironically. Kickstarter. I know. And what, to two pro- well, there's several problems. And I learned a lot from it, and I started the podcast and changed my whole life. But the, this was uh, over. Over a year ago, and one of them was I set the reward levels too high, and that's pretty clear. Uh, there's issues there, but the other one was um, pe- well, I'd never written a book like this. I didn't have an audience yet. The new disruptor is helping me build an audience that might be interested in buying a book of the kind he wrote. Third thing was people thought I was joking because people know I joke on Twitter, and I'm like, I'm I'm writing, I'm crowdfunding a book it about was, crowdfunding. It was so very like, meta. Ha, 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 ha. Like, no, really. So I think I raised ten or fifteen. <laughs> well, what you needed to do was have a Kickstarter so you could. Produce a Kickstarter to do your book. That's what I'm working on. That, but it's uh, yeah, I know that was the other that was inception or <laughs> But but I didn't, you know what? But the key is, can you learn from your failures in that regard? And I totally did. And I've done a lot of things that I feel are very successful as an outcome. And um, the New Disruptors podcast is my attempt to build an audience that says, oh, Glenn does this thing. Maybe he, a book version of or some other version of this thing that he's been doing for a year or two years would now be worth it. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but why haven't you talked about that? About the failure? Yeah. I did. I actually wrote an essay about it. You just don't read everything. Would you not read every tweet? I put? <laughs> <laughs> it's a full-time job. That's going to be Glenn's Kickstarter is going to be a book. It starts at $100,000 a year. His you read tweets. All of it's, it's a book series. Is there a mechanical one? Turk to read? It's a thousand pages. I, I wrote a post at the time, and I actually um, – some I forgot the site. Some site did a thing which was like – Ha ha! Kick, uh, crowdfunding, crowdfunding, crowdfunding book doesn't go, and I talk. It doesn't fund. Huh. And I talk to the guy, and he's like, "Oh, this is actually, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean really exactly make fun of you." It was, and I'm like, "I understand why it sounds funny." And he went back and he wrote something that was actually fairly reasonable, where I explained like, "Here's the five or six things I did wrong," and I, it didn't cost me; anything. it cost me time. Right. It cost Jeff Carlson to shoot the video, so it cost him time too. But um, but I didn't have any that. hard <laughs> costs going into it. And then I've developed a whole new career out of it. And I think that's awesome. And I wish we had more stories like that. Mm-hmm. The, this, there's hype around this now. Yeah, and, and there's justifiable right. hype. Right. But, but there's, there's also, also an entire other side of it for things that don't work and how we fix that. Now, b- before we go really quickly, I wanted to, because we were running out of time, um, I wanted to uh, go around the table, and which is an actual table because we are sitting at a table. And uh, just really briefly, if you've got some uh, specific thing that you want to mention that you've, um, that you've enjoyed or supported – uh, that was a, a, an indie project or a, something that is just out of the traditional means because I know that that's what we usually talk about on the on the podcast and I wanted to at least be able for us to give some shouts out to uh, to indie stuff that we liked. Greg, do you uh, do you have some things you want to promote? One of the first web comics I ever started reading and it was eons ago was Sluggy Freelance and that's actually been going for 16 years now and he's been doing it as a full time job for 12 I think. Wow, and it is insane. It is an epic, epic story in comic strip form. It's hilarious. It's well-drawn. You can see his art improving over the past 16 years, along with his characterizations and the depth of his story. He will reference things from a decade ago. And if you happen to have that knowledge, it makes the the interaction so, so much deeper. And so when I started reading it like 10, 12 years ago, I went back and during a slow time at work and I read (laughs) six years of archives and I've kept up with it ever since. And that was my first real interaction with somebody who was doing something on the side that had a level of success and allowed him to go ahead and do it full time. All right, cool. Jeff, what about you? I actually, I don't have anything to recommend because oh. I'm on that, that, that other side, which is like, like I am the beneficiary of all of this. Like there's this great podcast called The Incomparable that, oh. that, that, that has <laughs> oh, led me. I was going to recommend that. Oh, go ahead. It's led me to Is wonderful things. Jackasses that gibber on about nothing. Yes, Just one or two. Yeah. <laughs> That's Scott McNulty who can't shut up. Um, <laughs> shut up. But, but you know, like uh, but you, for example, Jason, like I – Never done into dis- comics. I'm a new disruptor. You're a new disruptor. Um, <laughs> like I'm reading comics now uh, because of your recommendations <laughs> and, and, and and Dan Morin. And um, I think that that you know I would probably miss a lot of the indie stuff. Like I am the target market now to say, oh, like here's something that's interesting 
And, and usually it's because, you know, like Glenn has, has uh, contributed to a Kickstarter, and because I have, have done stuff in the past, I get a thing from them saying, Glenn Fleischman did this, maybe you will. And be like, right. Yeah, that's totally worth it. So, so you're, you're the recipient of the word of mouth on these projects and end up supporting some of them or reading the comics or yeah. whatever because yeah. you're listening to Yeah, them. exactly. That's and cool. and uh, I want to add one more thing, um, what Greg was saying. Um, that uh, Jack Cheng, who, who spoke, um, he, he wrote a novel called These Days. One of the things I thought was great about his talk was that, um, you know, he, he, he talked about how great it is to, to, to crowdfund his, his novel, which I thought was sort of weird at first. Like, like, can't you just write the novel and then go searching for it? But, you know, like the different models. But then he said, he's like, oh, and you don't have to quit your day job. Like, this is totally a side thing. Right. And I make my living doing something else, which like sounded kind of refreshing mm-hmm. here because it like most of the things are quit, like, quit, like quit, yeah, quit. Some, somebody, yeah, somebody quit on job, Twitter said job, they, were, they were seriously considering starting a conference called don't quit your day job, yeah. which is about being an independent content creator, oh, wow. being sort of fulfilling your dream while also keeping feeding your family. Feeding your family. Or, said, yeah. He said, I expect most bit, yeah. of the speakers will be middle-aged people with families. It was great to be able to hear that. And conference say, oh, ends okay. at four in the afternoon. So yes. People can go home and have a nap. No, it, start, it starts at seven at night. And ends at 11 p.m. Yeah. Well, and what about you? Oh well, uh, I was looking through. I was looking through my Kickstarter backed things because I've, I think I've put most of my effort into um, supporting stuff that's wound up on Kickstarter. And, and I, Flaming Carrot uh, Comics—they did this great Kickstarter where it's like I didn't even know Bob Burton, the creator, was still alive. He's kind of—I can't figure out if he's actually uh, crazy or he has an incredibly good act he's been sustaining for decades. I think it's a mix of both. But um, he put out uh, did a Kickstarter to. Finished some stuff, put out a, a deluxe collection. He threw in all kinds of weird stuff, and it's a it's a, one of the most surreal comics. I'd forgotten I even owned issues. I have a pile of them from the early days, and um, and it was great. So I backed that, and I was delighted to see something that was uh, truly in the indie spirit 30, 20, 30 years ago. That they did everything on their own, and they kind of went in and out of some of the comic book labels. Um, come back and and see some new material and, and a collection of the old stuff. Very cool. And I, I mentioned a bunch of stuff earlier, Hugh Howey's Wool uh, being a, a successful NaNoWriMo novel that turned into a successful self-published novel that is now a successful, actually professionally published novel. Um, and it's pretty good. So check it out. Well, this uh, wraps up our time in, the, on, in this little room. I also want to give a, uh, a thanks to Luma Labs for providing the space. They are the makers of a fine product called Cinch. Cinch. Which, if you are a photographer and you want to have your SLR um, n- not be annoying to you and readily available to take pictures, the cinch is. He, we were getting shrugs. Yeah, that's sort of it. Kind that's of. Well, go to luma-labs.com. You put it around your. They didn't even know we were going to mention them, but they gave us the space, and we really appreciate uh, Greg and Duncan for letting us. Uh, barge into their space on Sunday morning and record this. So thanks to them. And I would like to thank my guests for gathering around this table. Glenn Fleischman, thanks for being here. I didn't mention Stephen Fry. I just want you to know. You did, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try. Nice try. Jeff Carlson, thanks for being back. I can't wait till we do another live. Thing another live. That's the only time. Only in there live. You don't show up on uh, on recordings. Only live. And Greg Noss, thank you again for showing up live. I can't wait till we do another live thing. Yeah, be on the podcast some other time. Yeah. You're too busy. Yeah. You got a family. You got kids. I'm busy creating. Yes, I know. That's right. Independent content creation of code. That's not what it sounded like earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm busy. Like I didn't tell you what I was creating. And and then and for the incomparable, I am your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. And guys, did you think anybody noticed that we were naked when we recorded this? 